just want to hold you. I just want to bring you closer to me. I just want to know you. It's just not okay. I just want to understand. How do you feel about that? I see this. I'm ambivalent. I'm really ambivalent. Like, and it's largely because of my disdain for how much we invest in it. Sports and shit. Yeah. I, okay, like, I'm, I'm actually mean, glad. I'm actually I happy mean, to hear you say. It. I would I mean, love to pull black people away from sports for a second. There, there, I mean, but because like we pay, we pay baseball, basketball, football players millions of dollars to for a fucking sport. Like, I'm okay with that. So, well, in general, I just think that we invest too much in like the frivolous shit that that doesn't really really mean much i mean okay like, if we're I, gonna speak on that then and I, and there's I, a bunch of stuff that doesn't mean yeah. much in the grand scheme of things but that get paid like, that much you know in the value of but, what but, it is to society okay, but when we're talking but when we're talking yeah but i'm just telling you where i am i know i hear you i don't give a fuck like, I, I know, I'm, no. but I'm saying but, if we're gonna. I, mean, I do like the nature of sports. I think that. I think uh, it's a. I think it's a reason though, because like entertainment is supposed to be a distraction from reality, and so that's recording? why there are layers to what. What you say? Are we recording? I did. I put it up, but you can start whenever. Oh. Yeah, I was um, talking about some really interesting shit. Um. Okay, so, like, because to me, when we speak on things that don't matter, like what really matters, then we could do that all day. Like, it's a bunch yeah. of shit that yeah. just I doesn't mean, matter. Me, Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm never, now, I mean, I think sports now, can be very entertaining. So I like, absolutely. There's certain sports that I, I don't. I, 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 love, I, I mean, I play football. I love sports. I don't really care for football anymore now. Cap fucked it up for me, man. But he, he opened my eyes to yeah. a lot of things. But um, the, the thing that I, like, talking about them getting paid so much, if they can get paid that much, that means there's a demand for it. So ain't nobody giving away no free money. Like, is, is it not that much of a demand for teachers and doctors or anything like that? Like Then we got to pay them. But we don't. Then pay. That's what I'm saying. No, we don't. But, but I'm we saying don't. if we need that, then we got to pay. If you want your kids to go to the best school, pay. Well, welcome back to me and the gay homie. Yo, hi guys. It's me. The me in it. Joe. All right, and um, I'm the gay homie. I'm Deotis. <laughs> he forgot who he was for a second. I All did right. a little bit. That confused me. He's um, still in a state of finding himself. I am going to be forever in a state of finding yeah. myself. He just recently told me he's still working on being comfortable being gay, and I was surprised. Were you? Yeah. You know me a few years, and you've seen me become more comfortable with being gay. I know, and I, I'm so proud of you, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that you... You seem so confident at times, dude. It's so, such a, it's it's not real, but you know. You fake bitch. I know a little bit. I gotta let them, I gotta let them feel like I am, so you know they can treat me different. I'm getting. I don't rooms. like this. I need you to. I need you to. It's the key to life. Okay, no, people What's do it? no. What's, that's not okay. I need you to okay? be your true self. I am my true self. You just said you be faking it for people. Faking my confidence. Yes, that's is that okay? Well, yeah, you if you're not a naturally confident person, which don't, I've never been. No, nah, fuck that. Don't confidence fake your confidence. Confidence you everywhere, okay? Is it, getting, ma- is it getting you everywhere? It is. I made people believe that I am what I'm not. <laughs> that I can do things that I can't. <laughs> I mean. Not anymore. Well, maybe not. <laughs> no, I'll change it again. Whatever. No edits. No edits. <laughs> well, we do have, we have two guests on the show that I'm really excited to I have. I love when he does that, when he goes, <sighs> Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we have two guests from the Grapevine. Um, I actually 
started listening to them via Instagram first and then found their uh, subscription on YouTube. And what's their Instagram? Uh, the Grapevine. The Grapevine TV. TV, I'm Thank sorry. You. Thank Grapevine you. Just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> so follow them at? The Grapevine TV. I mean, you all have like over 48,000 followers. It's insane. And um, I'm sorry. So we have Corey and Donovan, wow, which wow, are wow, wow. speakers on The Grapevine. Hola, 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 hola. Hey, what's up, everybody? So happy to be here. Hey. This is like I, like this is like my third time in LA, and I get to do a podcast. This shit is cool. Oh no, this is cool. <laughs> this is cool. Um, so from my uh, perception of the show, um, what uh, what I love is that you all always have the most interesting subject matter. That I don't know how you all continue it, but um, it seems that you all have a panel of just educated, articulate, interesting black folks who are just very involved in culture and, so, and social awareness. And you all um, bring uh, a perspective of um, different voices within the black community on a lot of pop culture or um, real, real genuine, hardcore issues that we're dealing with today. So, I mean, first, can you all kind of let us know more about what the show is about, The Grapevine? I guess I'll start. You want to start, Corey? I, no, I think you should start first. I can tell. Since okay. it's more your show, you are Ashley than me. Okay, well, I'll tell you a little bit of the history. I won't make it too long. but So basically, like I was working at a media company, and we were hiring for a position on the team, and I interviewed Ashley, and then she wound up getting hired, and she came onto the team. And she just told me about her dream of like having this podcast, or not, excuse me, having this show. And she was like, yeah, it's going to be like a panel style situation. And they were just going to talk about real shit. And the thing about Ashley is that she's very plugged in. Like, that's like one of the things about her. She's very interested. She's very curious. And I think that that's where we get along is that we're both just curious spirits. So her curiosity led her in that direction. And I was working on a panel style talk show for like queer people. But Ashley got her shit started off first. She was like, come on as a panelist. So I went on as a panelist. And I had an amazing time. And I also realized I, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing if I was going to do this show by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was just such an amazing opportunity to like come on and see what it would be like to deal with a professional. Because you know, I actually went to film school. So she had a real good background in what it meant to be a real person involved with filming. Whether that knowing what, what kind of cameras you need, what kind of mics you need, how many cameras, all that kind of stuff. I would just be guessing. So, or consulting with somebody who knew. Yeah. And then eventually she was like, and maybe after our first day of taping, she was like, do you want to come on as a producer? And I was like, oh, shit, I don't know how to produce nothing. <laughs> um, and then I was like, absolutely, because I was like, this is an opportunity to grow and learn. And that's like how I got involved in the show in my capacity. And in terms of like choosing the topics and the people, listen, once again, to continue the conversation of like the way that she invited me on the show is the same way that she invited other people that she you know, clicked with or saw that they had a very specific point of view. And that allowed her to bring, bring them to the table according to the topic. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that topic will be because it's on the timeline, right? And right. then also, for us, there's certain concerns that we have. So what she always says is that, you know, she graduated into a recession. So there were certain conversations that were nuanced mm -hmm. that older people weren't having, but we were having, but nobody was having them in, a, in the film world or in a right. place where you can go and visit and get something good. 
And I think like over time, we just got a lot of cool people to come on before we couldn't even get people to like stick around or show up. You know what I'm saying? It was rough. So that's how come you saw so many people on the show? Because it would be like, oh, they actually showed up. Shit, okay. So everybody can be on. But because we were so used to people not coming, you know, so then eventually we're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So we developed like a, a rhythm and then we saw that we got like a mouse and a new Chechi and an Aisha and now a Corey. You know, it's like over time we found some really amazing personalities and that encouraged everyday people to like the show and then apply. Like, yo, I want to come on the show. So now we have a table of people with like 100,000 followers and people who have like three followers yeah. um, because everybody's voices matter. And we inspire each other to continue the conversation even when we are having discourse. So that's like how it started and how we picked the conversation. So, so for me, um, moved to New York and the grapevine is definitely a New York East Coast phenomenon. Like if you, if you live in New York City, it's one of the like it places that you want to land. Like, so people knew Donovan and I were friends and were like, yo, I'm trying to get on the grapevine. Like, mm-hmm. like put in a word for me, like let him know. And I'm like, well, they put up castings and everybody just put apply for the casting and we'll see if you get on. And so <clears throat> when they invited me onto the show, it was just like some topic specific stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'll come on and I'm going to rock this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going I'm to I'm eat this for lunch, right? And got on the show, and it was, it was great, like, being there and having a topic. I think my first day on the, on the panel, like, it was funny because, like, of, of some of the mechanical stuff that goes on. And I, I like, hit the table. I smashed the table. <laughs> and everybody was like, whoa. whoa. Doing the most. Doing right, the most. Wait a minute. There are mics and glasses and everything going on here, bro. Calm, Shaking the table. Calm down. Um, but they invited me on the show, and I, and I knew what it was because I had seen episodes, and, like, they are serious, like, media personalities and influencers and and all types of people who are cast on the show as panelists. Mm-hmm. And so having me on, I was like, oh, I guess it fits, it works. Um, And so I came on like early season three, did two episodes. Um, And from then on, like I've just been a a supporter and like informal advisor to Donna and Ashley because they do dope ass work. Like they do dope work for our community. And so I've always been like the person to support my friends. Like if I can get you an in or a resource or whatever, I'm trying to do that. Cause like, there's nothing better than like all of my friends shining. Hell yeah. I want to, I, I definitely want to talk about the stuff you guys are doing for the community, the work you're doing, but just having the conversation that we've had prior to going on air. Yeah. Um, I want to know like, what were some of the heated, more heated, uh, conversations, uh, debates that you've had on the show, and what really got y'all going? I mean, name a few. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you guys have different ones. Oh my God. So <laughs> I think one of the most heated episodes might have been like the War on Masculinity okay, episode. Okay. <laughs> That's like, a good one. yo, that the War rough. on Masculinity <laughs> episode goes hard. Like just based on numbers, if you look at like yeah. the the watch numbers and probably the watch time on that episode, it was really heated. Is that the day that you got like real crunk? 
No. That I don't want to talk about. No, that's <laughs> what. There's one episode. No, that was Bruno Mars. That, and yes, it, and that's that, why I'm so grateful for that episode because no one gave a fuck about what happened yeah, with me gets on to that the show. End, nobody gets wow. to the end when Donovan loses it. Um, Hold and, it and don't watch it. I want to hear more about the masculinity. Uh, Yes. Yeah. yeah so, so who knows? I might have something to say. So, <laughs> so the grapevine, the show, and the platform. There are some very specific undercurrents that we talk about, right? The the shows the showrunner and creator of the grapevine is a black woman, dark skinned, beautiful black woman, right? And so we honor black women. We believe in creating space, safe space for black women. We protect that shit in our social settings and everything. Yeah. And so when we have people on the show or when we have conversations on the show where heteronormative, straight black men, right, are wildin', mm -hmm. we correct that shit like that. And it's not- What do you mean by wildin'? Misogynistic, patronistic, like run of the mill shit that, that would have been okay 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. like your expectation that your wife is going to stay home and take care of you and, and wash the dishes and, and bear me children oh, and yeah, that's whatever. Or, and, the or thing even is, and the thing is, there's nothing wrong with that if y'all have that agreement and if y'all are okay with that, you know, that's a decision y'all made, but to expect is different. Or, or even, you know, one of the latest episodes that we did about should sex work be legal? Yes, and, and how men oh, and yeah? how yeah. men <laughs> how men want to dictate and we we can get into this when we talk about Alabama um, and abortion mm -hmm. how men want to dictate what's okay for women and women's bodies mm -hmm. like that's a hard stop for us because this show like the undercurrent is we honor black women if the shit's not safe for black women we not rocking with it mm -hmm. and so some some toxic masculinity stuff that shows up. Right. But it's good to hear. It's good. You yeah. know why? It's good to hear because it's good to get that out there and tell somebody why it's wrong. Because a lot of us do not know that the shit is wrong because it's been so ingrained in us since we were fucking born. Now, yeah. here's the Agreed. thing. When we start talking about it, it's just like anything. I'm a, I'm a life coach. I have a certification in conflict resolution. Right. And so one of the things that happens when you confront people with stuff, one of the default responses is defensiveness. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so for this conversation about the war on masculinity, we were met with a lot of defensiveness up to the episode and as a result, <laughs> because black straight men are defensive. What the fuck you mean? Like this show is always dragging. I guess another episode I mean, that black men are gonna be dragged. <laughs> like we were, we were talking about, we could talk about <laughs> Uh, should black people be vegan? I'm just waiting for them to say uh, when oh, uh, black the black men like. And so we did this episode, and it it went it went crazy. And one of my proudest moments mm -hmm. on the show is is Mouse, right? Mouse on this particular episode when we were talking about masculinity and homophobia and a number of other things um, was talking about how we protect trans and gay people, mm -hmm. right? And how they are losing their lives and straight men are not putting their bodies on the line in the, in the same way that some gay or trans people are in movements and stuff like that. And so it, it, it turned into a viral moment for Mouse that we were all not surprised about because we know who Mouse is, 
but it was a surprising moment where he took that moment on the show and was like, fuck that. Like, we not riding with, with, with bullshit. Yeah. I it's mean, also because he's Mouse. Yeah, it's, it's largely because he's Mouse. Like, Mouse is exceptionally insightful and empathetic and forward-looking. Like, he's invested in his growth in ways that people typically aren't. And so one of the things that's funny is, like, if you drop a term that Mouse doesn't know, like, he'll hit you, like, offset, like, yo, what was, what was that, cis, cisgender? Like, what, is that, what does that mean? And then we told him, and, like, two episodes later, he was like, yeah, as a heteronormative, cisgendered male. <laughs> like, but see, that's what was I'm, like, get right? it, bro. Yeah. But that's, that's really who he and is. You have, not, be, you have to be mature enough to know what you don't know asked and it's okay to be fucking wrong it's okay to be ignorant on subjects yeah just yeah just be willing to be informed so with all the subject matter that y'all been covering has that ever or can you recall a subject where or a few of them where you actually was like damn i really had an awful perspective about this or that this has changed my perspective to actually make me move differently something like that i'll say for me, there are two things. There are two things that I always see, like, because I'm not a woman, mm-hmm. when Ashley, Aisha, Uchechi speak about black feminism, mm-hmm. like, I pause and listen. And so whenever stuff comes up on the timeline or in social media, before I even, like, form an opinion, I'll hit one of them with a text like, yo, where do you what do you think about this? Where do you stand on this? Like, because I don't want to be I'm a man, so I still benefit from male privilege. Absolutely. And so and so I always like and people don't know this. I have a a group of friends that are women that I reach out to them before I make a, a statement publicly or before I've even formed my thinking about this particular issue. Like, how does this affect you? What do you think about this? Like, where? Yeah. Here's what I'm thinking. Am I on the wrong side of this? Yeah, that's big. And that's and that's the best way I know. We had this conversation about being an ally during mm-hmm. during some offset conversations, but that's the best way I know to be an ally to Black feminist women. And Aisha is like paving the way, like for for Black feminism. Um, I'm just happy to hear that Black yeah. feminism because people because it's. The word feminism gets such a negative, uh, such a negative connotation, with especially with black people, black women, that they've strayed away from. It, even when they for sure are feminists, right. like by definition, you are a feminist, but you don't like the way that everybody thinks. How it's been couched, uh, yeah, by white by people's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. And I tell over people like, don't run away from it. You change that shit. You tell them what it really is. You yeah. give your story for it. And uh, so I, I definitely check myself in those moments. And then, like, when I talk on the show about how my values affect my actions, like, I try to make sure I'm definitely doing the shit that I say, mm-hmm. right? Like, as as a disciple of Jesus, I believe that if I follow the teachings, that that should, like, shape my life. And so, like, I don't go on the show and talk about something and then just be wilding in real life. Like, I know (laughs) that I got to meet my actions. Like, they got to meet what I'm saying on the show and in everyday life. As a pastor, 
right? Like the stuff I believe has to show up every day. And it's not just a, when I'm preaching or when I'm speaking I mean, people will call type you stuff. Sure, yeah. And, and not that even people will call you out on it. Cause that's the least of my words. I could give a fuck. Like sometimes Do what you? people, what Are people sure? think. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Like sometimes I, 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 there are very few times, there are very few times where I'm like, oh my God, like people were saying this and. I don't like. But I, do you get irritated? I'm though? not gonna blow him up right now. Do I get irritated? You <laughs> please, please. Because, I mean, it's a part of it's a part of it. Like you know, it's a part of it. It's okay to admit it. Like, cause at first you were a little bit taken back by. I was taken back. Comments. I was I was upset by some of like. People who who my grandmother would say don't have a pot to piss in and a window to throw but it you, out of. But the thing Hold is, on. wait, wait, wait. Is you don't even know that. that no, it's wait, like wait a but minute. But people don't wait. No, can, can Donovan answer a question on the podcast, please? <laughs> it's been the Corey Show this long, so let me just say that's. I think like to to cut him off real fast is that like that has been the most interesting thing to me about the show is that. Whether it's like you go in thinking one thing, you're always going to come out being impacted by something that somebody said at the table, right? Yeah. Like for me, like I'm pretty much in control of myself, but somebody pissed me off and I was ready to fight him, even though there were cameras there. That's not no, something that I would, you know what I'm saying? That's not something that I would never normally do, but that's what happens when you're confronted with people who you don't always see eye to eye on things. So whether it's a... To, um, what Corey was saying about be, like when it's actually there for production, that tension, or whether you feel it after the fact, that shit is crazy. But what happens is, is that when you're around a table, not just on the internet's typing and clacking and getting to say whatever you want to say, right. and not having a pot to piss, and technically by not having a, a hat in the race, if you will, or like or having like an investment. You're not here on the camera I'll, putting yourself out I'll here like this. You're just talking point. shit. So I think like in general what's been impactful is that there can be space for an Aisha, even though without the grapevine, would she, would you have known about her? You know what I'm saying? Eventually, I'm sure you would have. But being, be, be, having her there defending feminism against a straight black man is what makes her so powerful. It's because you get to expose it for what it really is in, in the moment. And I've had this time where somebody told me that I was privileged and I was like, what the fuck they talking about? Like, <laughs> I was born in the hood. It's just that I've done work. I've done work on myself. And then Eventually, I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? She was right. I am privileged. I'm privileged in that I have parents who cared about me. I'm privileged in that my mother made sure that I went to some of the best schools. And I'm privileged in that that helped shape my thinking. And that's not the case for everybody. So now I'm less judgmental. I'm, I'm more inclined to listen all the way first before wanting to just talk. And in that way, I think that the grapevine like has really impacted people's day to day and that is like some shit that I'm really 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 proud of. No, I I don't I don't mean that. Like at the table, the conversations we have at the table and off off camera. Like those are definitely impactful and and shaping. But I'm talking about like the comment section and people's oh, okay. response to our stuff. When I, and when I say don't have a pot to piss in, like people who want to <laughs> have people who want to have arguments with me about theology when you have read nothing except your Bible, that's you don't want this smoke. <laughs> and, and, and that's what I mean by don't have a pot to piss in. Like you, you like in this match intellectually, like we not my, my grandmother used to say, don't argue with a fool. Because from the distance, nobody can tell who the fool is. Exactly. And you want me to and you want me to and you want me to argue with you about like 
deep <laughs> scholastic theological points. And all you can tell me is what your grandmama told you because her mother told her. Yeah, and I'm like, nah, you move I'm on. not for it. You got to ignore that one. I'm yeah, not for yeah, it. Nah. All and right. Yeah. I, I need to know about this event that had you ready to beat somebody up. <laughs> it it this listen. Is so funny. I've never spoken the, about this. It's before. at the end of the episode. So all right, Corey. All right. Everybody gets all right. Everybody gets okay. drawn into the Bruno stuff <laughs> that they don't see the Donovan stuff. And this is Which the is funny great. part. And I'm I'm gonna just say this. I'm gonna let you take it. The funny part is like I know Donovan, and I know like he is always ready to whoop ass. Like he be ready. And then I'd be thinking, like, these people must have it wrong <laughs> because they know that Donovan's like this gay guy and he produces the grapevine. Like, son, he has a black belt in Taekwondo. <laughs> you gonna get <laughs> fucked up! Like, so pipe down, because he gonna fuck you up. If this go there, you gonna get hurt. And I'd I be like, like, please, this don't. Go ahead, Doc. Oh, my God. So, okay, so I don't know. First of all, you know, the Bruno Mars episode went viral and I was like oh no oh man this is bad like people gonna see this shit and no one gave a fuck about me on that episode which was fantastic shout out to um everybody who watched that episode and did not see me and don't watch it but what happened was with this there was this guy who was on the show and he was very very passionate very very passionate and the thing is that we were filming throughout the day and we had already filmed like maybe two three episodes like three in yeah about three in and the thing is is that it's really, really hard to sit around a table and manage fucking 15, 16 black people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because we have, we want something, to, we got something to say, okay? <laughs> Everybody's hand is up. So every time someone was speaking, he would interject. Every single time with an attitude, very, 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 very disruptful. And I told him in like almost every episode, bro, like, you have to chill. By the time that we got to the Bruno Mars episode, he had like really been upset by, so I don't know if he's related to Bruno Mars, I don't know if he's a friend in his mind or whatever the case may be, but he was really, really, <laughs> really, 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 really upset about, and I think he also was upset with me because in another episode, I, I think I said something that he didn't like about um, the way he was feeling about Aziz Ansari. And I said, we were talking about how uh, Aziz is a, um, a what, like a creep. He's like a creep. He's a creepy little dude, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and not 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 in the ways that a lot of guys aren't creepy, right? Feeling like you have access to women's bodies, you can talk to women any kind of way, and that just because a woman is there and she likes you means you can fuck her the same day. That's creepy. Okay. No, that's not that's not true. So he, you know, a lot of men are creepy in that way. And he didn't like the fact that I used the word creepy. So all of this tension kind of like spilled over into this next episode. And what had happened was that somebody was talking and making a really, really great point at one side of the table. The other side of the table, here he is going off. I have like a microphone. Like this costs money. Like I'm not only here as a panelist, I'm here as a producer as well. And this comes out of our bottom line. And we're not here just trying to like have something where the people on the other side of the camera can't hear what's going on. So I was asking, I was correcting him. He had an attitude and, and like, I have a, I do have a very short fuse when it comes to respect. Mm -hmm. Like we can all be here, but without respect is crazy. And the thing is, is like, I'm not, one of those people who believe that you should throw your alpha personality around, but I am a type A personality. And for me, this is my business and I take it very fucking seriously. So I thought that was very disrespectful. And in that way, I will always be that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I say, get the fuck out of here. I asked him to leave. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was just like, I'd had enough. I'd had enough. But you know, that's that wasn't the best representation of myself. And I remember thinking like, 
damn, like, what would you do differently if you had to do it again? And I definitely would have probably asked him to leave before. But hindsight is twenty twenty. It's, it's, it's like you can't, you, can't you don't know that. that. You don't, you don't know. know. Right. Everything in retrospect is real, real cool. But at the time, I was real, real hot. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And there have been other times where I've been hot. Yeah. Um, but I've learned since then that like this is not really that serious. I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. This is an exercise this, as well for your own yeah, development. Absolutely, you know? and and I've grown so much out of you know having people say horrible things or or having things like you know having me act out of character. That's mm-hmm. like okay, okay, Donovan, you need to get it together too. And if you pipe up now, we have security. Yeah, we do have security. Got security as, a, now? as a result Damn. of that, like we were like, well, maybe we should. Have. Not out of the result of that, <laughs> I mean, but that out of the result other, other of thing. like you know sure more <laughs> more like controversial shit. We yeah, have had we, we have security. We have now. security. Yeah. Wow, so no, no pipe up. <laughs> y'all big time. Y'all big time, man. Where do y'all film the um? Where do y'all shoot the shows at? Is we it? Should, it depends. Like we've been going to like different studios we've been trying to find a home mm-hmm. and so we go to different studios over the years but now we find like a really really close cool place in brooklyn that we brooklyn, love okay. yeah. yeah yes yeah yes um all right i want to get to some of your more impactful episodes the ones that really touch hit home touch yeah. your heart mm-hmm. i brought some emotion out of your guests like mm-hmm. talk about some of those i would definitely say the Cosby conversations, mm. the R. Kelly conversations, a lot of the conversations that expose a lot of the things that go on within the black community and impact the people around the table. I don't know. I don't remember if it was a man bashing panel, but I remember Latasha was just like, yo, all we just want you guys to do is protect us. Right. And it's the way that she said it that like kind of like got me. Heavy but simple. It was like heavy but simple because, yeah. you know, I would say like the reason why I think that gay men are very important and the reason why black straight women, excuse me, black women, period, are important, and, and, and black men who are willing to, black straight men who are willing to have these conversations become important. So that's, that's your Mouses, that's your Aishas, that's your, that's your Corys, and that's your Mees, and that's your whoever it is at the table that comes and shows up and says that even though I don't understand, mm-hmm. I'm going to try to just get it. And when she did that, you couldn't be around the table and not be impacted by the fact that she was so emotional. So when women say, like, defend us, don't just throw us under the bus and go save the Kim Kardashian lookalike or prop them up. You know, come for us when the police are brutalizing us as well. I was all in that moment, it just became so real to me. And I was like, if you can't see this shit right here, then you have a problem. And I think like that kind of spirit that lurks around the table is what gets into Mouse when he has those moments as well, which was also very impactful for me because when we had a conversation this first episode, I was like, yo, this cool. This kid is mad cool. He was funny as hell. He had great comedic timing, but and he was just very honest. And we got to a point when it came up to accountability. It's not that anybody's blaming black straight men for things. You hear blame. You know what I'm saying? Even if you didn't necessarily do it. If you're in a room and your homies are acting up and you don't say anything and you think that you're innocent, you're not. And that is a reality for, um, I think, a lot of black men that's like, oh, shit. I never thought about it that way. And some will just dismiss it. Mouse is one who says, I never thought about it that way. I'll take accountability for that. And I'm not necess- I, it, may, it may not have been that example, but it's his closeness and proximity to his privilege that he didn't acknowledge before, that now he acknowledges. And I feel like that we had a hand in that. Personally, I feel like I was able to have, have a hand in that. And since then, we've been really, really, really close. So it's like shit like that. Like It's not only about what we get to do 
um, and the audience gets it, which is a whole other topic, but also being able to like have a friend like Mouse now or have a friend like Latasha, just because of those moments around the table, that shit is what makes me still want to <laughs> do this after all of these years and still not have a big deal, right? How many years? About five. Five? I, I, I want to She's been doing it since 2011. Okay. She's been like, you know, getting yeah. it going. I have a question. Pilot. I just really want to know what y'all think. Um, why do you think that black straight men aren't protective, we definitely not overly protective, aren't protective over black women? I, I mean, I have some I mean, like, it's it's your your proximity, like, you, you see this in a lot of, lot of domestically violent relationships where women are being abused and battered. It's your proximity to black women that they are the closest to you when the outflow of your frustration happens, right? You get all of this shit that's pressed upon you from outside, from the systems that malign black people, and you lash out to whoever's closest to you. But also, right? but also on a, I'm, I'm talking about just coming into the coming in as defense in defense yeah, for black and women. And so, and so, if you're if you're used to lashing out at black women because again that proximity uh -huh. when it's time to defend them I've already degraded you in my mind where priority says like you are you are a1 to be defended if I'm not defending you one on one I'm certainly not going to in society and I think it it just plays into the history of how black men have been pitted against the black family against black women in general and all of those pressures are are such that hell no like it's it's not first nature right my first nature is to lash out and whoever's closest is going to get that lash out and that's been black women for so long that there is no mechanism in your mind that says defend also i think about um so black women have raised us our grandmothers have been the shit the grandfather sometimes they've been the ones who come through with the with the heat and all like to protect the family do we look at black women as so strong that we don't need to defend do you think that may be in some cases yeah because i i think, I, I think about that i think I, I i have a theory that um it's just that if you take it from like let's talk about from just like one family let's talk about one family i'll talk about my family so my family the men are very spoiled. The men are very taken care of. I'm, not t I'm talking about you don't wash no dishes, you don't have to do the laundry, you don't have to do anything but just kind of show up. I have grown men who are still like having, getting that type of treatment and not by their wife but by their mom. And I think to your point, that's how I more so see it. I see it as this, this kind of changing of hand or maturity thing that comes a little bit later. I don't think that black men are necessarily getting everything that we need right now in our communities all of the time, which is this deficit in really having emotional intelligence, really understanding what it is to have mentorship and being able to understand that like, even in this moment, you may not have everything that you need, but just because this black woman is in close proximity to you, right? Doesn't mean that you take out your frustrations on her, which you get to do when you have this relationship with your mom where she's nagging at you, she's telling you what to do and when to come home and what to do, and then you have your woman kind of doing that same thing. Then you have a society that says, if you're especially if you're indoctrinated in hip hop or if you're indoctrinated in, in big pop culture, it says that 
this is a type of woman to aspire to, mm-hmm. and then you go home to this nagging type of woman that you've dealt with for your entire life. If you would have been spoiled enough or if you would have been disconnected enough from your emotional intelligence to think in that way. You know what I'm saying? So I've seen personally the way that a lot of us, even myself in certain ways, don't show up all the way for black women because we do think that they got it because they got us so much of the time that they can handle it. You know what I'm saying? And you're more so aspiring to what? You got to focus on your bag. You got to get this money. You got to do whatever, whatever, what else. That You don't really prioritize the safety of black women. And it is a combination of all of that. And one of my theories about it is that um, as a race and whole, we usually don't have many examples growing up or in general of like actually seeing a male how your father, how your father is treating your mother, your black mom, and yeah. you have that absence. And I feel like other races and cultures have these examples that gives them some type of blueprint on how you're supposed to be treating your woman. And yeah. and we don't have that. Yeah, and even though part. you know other cultures have their shitty things that we mm-hmm. may or may not be privy to, mm-hmm. I think we definitely know that in our culture. And I will say that coming from a home where my father wasn't always there, there was always a type of kind of, I guess, nature that my mother treated me like her man and that, right, may, not, yeah. may, that may not have been that we were she was like doing all of the all of the fancy things but i never had to worry about anything i didn't have to do a lot of the things that i have to do now as a man mm-hmm. so my mother couldn't teach me everything that i needed to know as a man because she was busy you know dealing with her own shit and mm-hmm. being the best mom that she could so i so who supplements that and you was busy almost actually being the man for that household exactly you know? exactly and the stuff that she couldn't do she just couldn't do it's not her fault but she yeah. couldn't do it so who has to supplement that so a lot of times it has to be society it has mm-hmm. to be us who has to deal with the fact like you did not get your dose of emotion of emotional intelligence right? right so we have to deal with it whether that comes out as you know a lack of understanding or violence or if it comes out as hyper masculinity in, in, in any of its toxic ways it's like we have to clean it up and i think like when women are saying like you know niggas ain't shit in particular it's them saying like it's time that you guys start cleaning your stuff up mm-hmm. it's too messy it's too muddy we've inherited a lot of bullshit they're forced they're forced to be masculine when they don't well, they'll rather be feminine. Like they'll rather just be the woman and they're doing the jobs. And I this is me I know I mean, I I've, my dad was in the house and I mean he could have been a better husband, but mm-hmm. he was a man for sure. Like he did he did his job in that household just, you know, he didn't wasn't the most loving to her. Didn't like to talk to her much. Mm-hmm. But um so I got to see what how I got to see what he, what a man was supposed to do, partly in the household, even in what he lacked, you and know, he, even you yes, know. because I heard what my mom wanted, mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I get that, I get that. So, I was always different. Like I look, I'm the one. Are oh, you talking to my? You talking crazy to my cousin? I'm gonna come slap the fuck out of you, so I can make you look like a little bitch. Like I don't play with my family, but I've seen other cousins, like a cousin will come through. Oh, my boyfriend just hit me. I remember I was young and. First thing my cousin said, he was like six years older than me. He was like, "Shit, what you do to him?" Wow. He's like, "Man, I don't be in nobody's business. Just stop fucking around, saying some crazy shit to that man." I'm like, That's "I'm young. I was young. Yeah. I was young, and I was like, I'm ready to scrap. Where he at? Yeah, I have." But it's his father died early, mm-hmm. and it's it's also one of those He's instances. It's also one of those instances where as a as a man, you want to assert yourself. And it goes back to what I was saying about how society has treated black men. Right. That there there are very few instances 
where you are allowed in society to be the the predominant personality mm-hmm. that that like you're at the apex. And so when you have an opportunity to enforce your will that somebody in your mind should listen to you or not talk to you in a certain way and you step outside of that, what do you do? I'm going to put you back in line. And do you right? see how that's privileged because you think that that's your right? And that's the thing, like a lot of black men, black straight men in particular say, like, what privileges we have. But you walking around thinking that you got it like that. You think you have access to these women. You think you have access to lead. You are not even prepared to lead yourself. That's How you gonna do that? That's that's privilege right there. I'm, look, I know, I know we have a bunch of shit coming going against us. I know, but there's privilege there for sure. Look, we can just talk about privileges. The way we're viewed as attractive beings in society. There is not a fucking, <laughs> yeah, there's not a race that doesn't want to fuck us. <laughs> or shit, fuck, That's forget true, fuck us. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't marry us. They would even marry, every race wouldn't mind. There's somebody. And we're, we're, we're looked at as like these, like the most attractive people on earth. Like they can't, when a black dude walks in, they're like, oh, who is that? Now, on the other hand, our black women are not viewed the same. Like, I love black women, but I know how people talk. I know how my own homeboys have talked at times. Like, I mean, not all of them. I ain't going to put all y'all out there. Y'all ain't all like this. I'm just saying there's been a few. I know how we, I, I've heard ones who especially were. Especially L.A. dudes. Sitting on that shit everywhere, though. But especially L.A. dudes. We are who we are. We will go to Orange County because we know we can get some pussy from some Asian girls. Like, we will go pick out certain areas like, yeah, I'm about to go fuck with the Asians tonight. Because we know it's just thought that uh, women, black women are tougher to talk to. And, like, the real shit is you better have some fucking game. Right. You better yeah, have. That's what it is. It's always the squares dudes who don't have oh, shit to talk God. about, who have no confidence they can't fuck with black women. They get they get so nervous. They get defensive as fuck. Then they get disrespectful because they don't know how to handle. I'm like, all you have to do is be normal, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. No daddy having bitch. Come yeah. on, man. That's just fucking up your life. <laughs> and black Look, women man. will hold your ass accountable, and we'll try. We'll be like, they'll be like, so this is what you said, and this is what you didn't do. That just happened last. What's night. good? I, I, I love night. I love that I have you know, so many. Uh, homegirls, like I have, <laughs> I have so many homegirls who they don't play that shit, man. They that, will let, look, let you know what's up. This quick. literally just happened last night. I went to the tree, uh, was it tree house, tree club, clubhouse? What is it? The tree. W- oh, tenant of the tree? Not tenant of the tree. I was about to say, don't go there. They drug people. I know. It's um, it's tree club. I think that's what it's called. God damn it, it don't matter. But anyways, I was there with a couple of other homegirls too, and this like black mr rogers dude came over there kind of talking to her and he was like super like super lame and we were waiting in the line for to order some drinks and so we all there and then you know we were the other a couple of other guys too and we we're like like yo like why is he talking to her is he gonna buy her a drink or something is he gonna get us some drinks like the dude is talking about that right but anyway we get up to the we get up to the bar and she about to um buy her drink and she was just like um, I mean, what's going on though? Like, I've been trying to like give you interest about this conversation. Are you about to buy me a drink though? <laughs> 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 I, just, oh, no, I became the background <laughs> of that situation, and it sounded more like. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> mm-hmm. First of all, fuck all that. 
She didn't, she didn't have to get no drink out of that good conversation. He, it wasn't good, though. Then he was away. so mad. We were stuck away. in the line. We couldn't. She yeah. couldn't. But nah, I mean, that shit ain't cool. <laughs> Fuck that shit. I ain't letting that shit ride. I'm saying, though, she, 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 she's pretty much was telling him, like, I haven't treated you earlier in this in this inter, in, in this exchange because I'm trying to see if you're going to buy me a drink. And now that <laughs> we are at the moment of no return, is it going to pay off? And, you know, she's been very forward about it. So it <laughs> wasn't going to pay off for him anyway. Yeah. So she was being selfish as fuck. <laughs> oh, shady like, ass. Look, man, this is weak. But I think that also buys into like a little bit of the hyper masculinity that um, you know black no, females. No, we're not putting. To, I'm about no, to say you're not about none of this on that man. I don't know, not on the man. I mean, he was really lame. But just saying about how it is an extra level of self you have to be if you're gonna go talk to a black girl and kind of like from a black woman perspective, it's just like, are you man enough for me? You know, and so and you yes. can be and you, <laughs> so, and you don't have to have. I mean, look. Every woman ain't gonna be for you. Yo, you gonna have you gonna be kind of nerdy and lame, all that shit. Guess what? There is a woman out there for you. Don't be scared. Is she gonna be black? She can be black. Maybe you a ain't never bit. met you ain't never met no nerdy black woman. I know a few that are around, and I'm like, yo, this would be perfect for old boy over there. I can't mm-hmm. fuck with you. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't want to. Ru- I do not want to ruin your life. Uh-huh. But no, nah, man, we got we are not. Like one type here. We got some of everything in this motherfucker, man. So, like, but I'm just saying, you gotta don't be scared of them. I mean, and don't don't use it as an excuse to disrespect them. Like, don't right. don't use the fact that these people over this race over here, these this group was more open to your weird ass conversation to talk <laughs> shit about black women. Like that's <laughs> like it's okay. Like they were cool with it. They weren't. There's no, there's no reason to talk to you. And don't be that dude letting your other girlfriend, wife, talk shit about your women, your, 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 your folks, your moms, your sisters, your cousins. That shit is weak as fuck. You sitting there just laughing behind the scenes. That shit's not cool. And you're really fucking up your future, your future, your future daughters and shit too, man. Because that's going to have them looking at their own, like, race. Like, th- that's where Very the whole, true. that's where that whole light skin, dark skin thing starts popping off. Because they don't feel like they're completely black. They can get to talk shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're different over there. Because my dad said. And mm-hmm. my mom says. It's a, it's a whole pattern, man. I, I've been around that shit my whole life, man. You know, my folks from New Orleans. You know, that light skin shit is. It's real. It's bad. But, you know, it also translates to, you know, like. You know, I kind of have my own personal theory that maybe, you know, black people are like kind of, I don't know. I don't know for sure. But if this was to be true, I wouldn't be surprised where maybe like the whole I'm divine. You. you are going to disagree. But maybe the whole divine situation is that like black people, because we are in this sense of so regal and our hair grows to the sun and we have all of this, you know, special kind of advances of what we are that we had to be. I don't know, disenfranchised in some type of way in order for it to be an even playing field throughout the world. Like, if you, whatever God you believe in, maybe that that was the set situation. But I'm saying all that because, like, it's hard for people or men to try to talk to black women because they're so regal. They're so extra more than what they can even 
you know, consider to be what they could be uh, worth, to, you know, able to talk to themselves like yeah, that. I hear you. That sounds you know great. I mean, look, I love y'all black women, but I don't really be thinking about it like that when I come say hi. I just say, what's up? Like, look, great. You're regal. I love you. Mm-hmm. But I don't be thinking about you being a queen and all shit. I'm just like, yo, you cute. What's cracking? Right. Look, that ain't stuff. other races, maybe. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I, I, <laughs> but I get, I, I get what you're saying. It's, to, to me, it's more so like, yo, they... They just got a swag to them, so you got to match it. You got to match it. It's yeah. energy. Okay, I did. Um, what did I want to say? Because I I know you wanted to talk about something too. We were talking about uh, um, we were talking about episodes that that got to you. So I know he brought up one, but it looked like you wanted to say one that really touch hit home. I. Like, if I think about an episode that really, we did a three-part conversation across the black diaspora. So one conversation was from, for black people who are from the continent of Africa. We did a conversation with African-Americans, or <laughs> we <laughs> we laugh, ADOS <laughs> um, people. <laughs> <laughs> African descendants of slaves. Okay, there we go. Uh, <laughs> I, I was trying. I was trying to. It's it's a it's a real thing. Um, but it wasn't a thing at that time. No, it wasn't a thing at but that time. But it makes time. sense because it wasn't a, it wasn't it a thing at that time. So. But we did that. Not Americans, right? Like Africans that were descendants from slaves. So so we so we did the continental Africans. We did African Americans, and then we did a um, collab conversation with everybody with like an aside to. Caribbean Americans, um, and that conversation was. And they are also ADOS. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> um, that conversation. They, no, they wouldn't like that. No, uh, ADOS is just American descendant of slaves only. We got it. Oh, American descendant American of slaves. Descendant. Oh, my bad, my bad. Okay. So. I mean, so like that conversation, I think was impactful. <laughs> Please, Donovan's waving, so you just let this shit go. <laughs> Please, <laughs> let this shit Yo, go. He got, like you do hey, Just let it go. You don't want no, no, this smoke I, I, on I your podcast, you, I have, D. You I'm don't not, want this smoke I, I on your no, podcast. Because they no. are looking for They're looking for the hashtag <laughs> so they can descend on your ass like locusts. <laughs> just listen, let it go. Listen. Let's go. I just, I just saw his face change. I was like, what is it's, happening it's, right it's now? So I don't much. have nothing to say. It's so much. It's so much. You know what? We live in a very specific time right now. And people are very sensitive about what they're sensitive about, including black people of all kinds. Yes. And it's this thing where it's very complicated conversations. And I use the great Vine as my platform to make sure everybody feels represented. And this particular conversation <laughs> is very, very, very complicated. And it's very heavy. And it is specifically for American descendant of slaves, which is just to say that African-Americans here through a very specific lineage, have had a very specific experience. That Absolutely. Is different than Caribbeans, Absolutely. That's different than continental Africans. And they want to bring some very um, astute awareness around that. And I appreciate that. I truly appreciate that because I brought that up many times. Yeah. That's when I also have brought up Obama. So so let me just <laughs> let me just do this before we go there, because <laughs> Donovan, Donovan doesn't want it, and I, and I'm I'm more resigned to like go with his his guidance. But that conversation I think was really important because we got to have some conversations across lines that we usually don't have. 
right? Like, I grew up as a kid spending time with people who were from the continent of Africa. And so my exposure was different than most of the people we were. Diotis and I went to the same high school. Um, And so most people in our neighborhoods in Chicago, you grew up around black folk that that you lived around, and that was it. And it wasn't a lot of African immigrants and stuff like that in our communities. And so we talked about the different things that are, are painful for us and that are painful for them that we don't often discuss openly. And so you don't have an understanding that leads to being more empathetic. And I thought I thought those those three conversations were really dope, really, really impactful. But in the in the broad, in general, like we select the conversations that we want to be in. That we are passionate about. But I do like want to say, going back to that, yeah. because that's that conversation is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And it's part of my life because the dudes you saw that just left, uh, Big Cheese, yeah. some of my closest friends. And we've had these real conversations about how we grew up differently and what the different concerns were. But they're born, they're born and raised out here, so they also feel a lot of shit that... I feel, but it goes differently when we start talking about family shit. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, yo, my mom picked cotton. My mom's from Mississippi. You know, my mom went through segregation. <clears throat> you know, and they, and a lot of the, the shit that comes on TV, I'm like, oh, this is dope. Look at that. They're like, this shit is weak. I'm like, see, y'all not going to get this shit because y'all not like black like me. <laughs> <laughs> y'all a different kind of black right now. Uh-huh. Y'all not understanding what I'm understanding this shit. Yeah. And, uh, but it really is a real conversation that we, we have. Because in L.A., the black people that we grew up with, it's funny because a lot of times we didn't know that everybody wasn't ADOS. Mm-hmm. They're Malaysian. They're uh, Guyanese. Shit, Jamaican. All these, and we had no idea because we don't find out until we call your house and your mom's yeah. like, <laughs> where's he? <laughs> and you know, you're like talking in the, I'm like, what? I remember I went to my homegirl's house one time. I didn't know she was Belizean. Her mom yelled at her to do something, and she came back in the same dialect. I said, what? What the fuck? I didn't know none of this. But no, it's it's really important to have. I'm, one thing we talked about earlier was just in, we talked about unity. We talked about black straight men, black gay men. It's all about us unifying no matter what it is from that perspective to our nationali- nationalities and cultures and shit. Fuck it. We here though. We black, but we have to give an understanding to each other. We have to be open to what you're experiencing, Absolutely. your perspectives and stuff. Yeah. But I'm sorry. I didn't, I mean, I had to jump away cause it was so, it hit, it hit I home, man. Really yeah. Home, man. Yeah. And it's important to a lot of people. It's important to a lot of people. Yeah. And so that episode, that series of episodes was really impactful, but, but I was the the other point I was gonna make in the broad is that when we get the list of topics that a particular set of shows are gonna be on, you don't have people on panels that are just like wild wallflowers, right? Like we get on the shows that we're passionate about. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you'll see some episodes that from time to time it's about scheduling. Like some people can't be in the studio that day. But from time to time, you will see that people are not in a particular episode because we are not, like, rabidly passionate about that particular topic. 
or what we're going to add isn't any different than somebody who is more passionate. So there's no reason for me to be at the table. Was there ever an episode where you were like, damn, you know what? That was the wrong one for me to not be. In. I, I had something to say, actually. <laughs> no. Um, I think that happens more more often. Like you sitting in the side, like ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> you not on the show, sat down. Like so that happens. But like I, we really have like stellar ass people who are on, and so there aren't a lot of opportunities or a lot of instances where I'm like, hmm, y'all needed me on this episode because. Didn't nobody say such no. and such, <laughs> right? Like, nah, like everybody, the points are going to be touched. Like people we don't, put, we don't people miss. People are putting in the work. Yeah. People are putting in the work. And so people like cover the stuff that you would have said, like maybe nuanced in a different way. And when there are those moments where my voice is important, like production, Don, Ashley, we've already talked about, like, I really need to be in this conversation because this is really important to me. Um, so you went to high school with D? Yeah. Were you out in high school? I was not. Okay, when did you come out? I came out in college. Okay. Did you have, did y'all go there at the same time? Yeah, we were there at the same time. I, I, I did want to ask you about that. I graduated two years before you. You graduated in 05? I graduated in 06. Okay, so I graduated three years before him. And the reason why I wanted to ask you about that is because recently someone had asked me what was the first, who was the first gay person you ever met? Yeah, and I was just like, damn. Yeah, I initially thought about this second grade seven seven year old dude. And of course, you don't know what gay is when you're seven, but I just felt some type of inner thing where like he was like me, whatever this thing was. And his name was Dominique, and he had a bunch of sisters, and he was a little flamboyant. And I was just like, later on in life, I'm like he probably I don't know whatever, but. Outside of him, the first gay person I ever met was in one of my classmates was uh, my freshman year. Yeah, I remember he was a Ian. senior. His name was Ian. Ian, and that was I can I can remember his face right now. Yeah, but I was just so enamored by him. I was just like, so we're still Ian and I are still loosely connected. Like really we're up around. You don't even know who circles. the fuck I am. But he lives he, li <laughs> like, he lives in D.C. So Ian was out, um, and like hindsight, shout out to Ian. Like because he was the picture of being courageous, yeah. In the face of of like opposition and people like hating you, homophobia, like all the time. And so, like at that time, I had I had no real consciousness of like fully being gay, um, to the extent that I what I believed was this that I thought guys were attractive and girls were attractive. And all you motherfuckers that are making assertions about this person being ugly or whatever for dudes, how is he ugly but you can't say he attractive? <laughs> hey, right? How you gonna say one person yo, ugly but you can't say the other? So I you a lying with, motherfucker. I, I, like you I, I lying, you lying, with, Joe. Joe, you lying. I fuck with my nephew right? all the time. He's <laughs> like, man, it's so ugly. I was like, so he'll be cool if you if he was cute. Hey, but man, fuck, shut up. Yeah, man. yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, when when growing through my sexuality, I just thought niggas is running around here lying because he's cute, he's cute, he's ugly, he's cute. Like she's cute, she's cute, she's that ugly, so right? And so, <laughs> yeah. and so, there was no, no, no real because I hadn't engaged men sexually until like the summer before I went to college. Mm -hmm. But I just thought like niggas is around here lying and making making it seem like you're just so hard, so yeah. straight and like I'm always both so both guys and now. girls are attractive. I'm but here's but the thing about Ian was Ian was at the time very feminine, very 
feminine presenting and flamboyant. And it's what I've come to understand now in some instances to be a defense mechanism because the world has already decided that because you're gay, you're you're on the outs, mm-hmm. right, in our neighborhood and growing up. And so what am I going to do? Like I'm on, you know, just die or shrink or goddammit, I'm on RuPaul this bitch mm-hmm. and you're going to see me. You got to live with me. And that's who Ian was. And so, like, I were you afraid to? I, I'm asking this. Because, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can. I can. I can answer. Like, because of what was close. Like that part of me that was close to Ian. Like he and I. I could never in high school be friends with him the way that right. he does. Yeah, the way a, that he deserved I, friendship. Like we. Like me and some other people who coincidentally now in our later years have come out as gay or bisexual. Like we were very protective in a big brother type of way. Wow. Like, that's our bro. Like, you're not going to fuck with him because he the bro. But for me, it was really protecting a part of myself, too. Mm-hmm. Right? That I, couldn't, that I couldn't say out loud or couldn't embrace. Like, he had that magic that I have now when we were in high school. Mm-hmm. He didn't care. Mm-hmm. Like, he was going to live in his honesty and in his truth. And that was the first example. Mine, too. Like the first example, one of my peers just living fearlessly. And this is why this is one of the main reasons why I do this podcast. It's because I hate the thought that there is a young black boy out there that can't be himself. Yeah. Like that has to like like I'm just I'm just trying to get in your head and your like these thoughts running through your mind every fucking day. You you got homework and shit. Right. You know what I mean? You got you, your mom telling you to do household sh- chores and shit. And here you are like, yo, I like him. I think I like him even further than just he's cute. But fuck that. Yeah. I'm not ready to. Nah, bro. That could be a life it's, or death situation. It, it really yeah. is. And it's, and it's one of those things that, like, there's a scene from Dear White People. And I'll use this example to, to touch on the black experience and the gay experience where the dean is walking with the dude that had the gun pulled on him. And he's walking with him through the campus, and he says, look at these little white kids. Mm-hmm. All of them have therapists. And they're running to their therapist because they're worried about if they're going to get that job after graduation or if they're going to go to the school they want to go to after graduation. When we're worried about when black kids, their experience is you're worried about your existence yep. every day. And we don't believe in therapy, right? And it was just that picture, like, like the the black experience is one thing, but then I'm also battling every day, like this whole existential crisis about my sexuality, Sexuality. especially Mm -hmm. if you grow up in a religious or Mm -hmm. quasi-religious household or a or Mm -hmm. a black family that's informed. By religion, mm-hmm. that shit can be torturous. I know Dude, you I'm were just thinking about ask your, Oh yeah, else. my bad, my bad. Well, no, no, no. Just uh, well, first, I was gonna ask first. Well, did you know Ian as a freshman when you first came in? Yeah. So and was Ian, he that way? Ian and I have known each other since I came to Hyde Park my sophomore year. So sophomore through okay. senior year, we've known each other. And Ian has always always been, been Ian. He's always been Ian to this I, day. Like, it's just, he still it's is. It's crazy. Like he has no idea who I am. But yeah. I I mean that was the. He, I looked up to him so hard from a distance. Yeah. And even when I came in. Man, that would, I'm going to reach out. That would, like, <laughs> inspire. Because now, like, Don and I talk about it like we are, 
like the people that people are looking up to. Right. The way that we used to look up to people. Yes, yes, And when you hear stories, when you hear stories about how you inspire somebody else, that really pushes you. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to him. Because he did that, he did that for me. Yeah. And and, and just, you know, speaking about the full circleness of circleness of just how like, I completely understand why and how, you know, adolescent gay people was, you know, will be killing themselves because especially if you're black and you're sitting there dealing with PTSD of just trying to get yeah, to school. Yeah, the pressure of High Park. High Park, all and, of that shit. And, and then 2000. On, on, in 2000. And then on top of that, you having to deal with like, okay, I know I'm gay. I'm going to have to deal with it at some point. Okay, Ian is up there dealing with it that way. Okay, by the time I'm his age, I'm gonna have to definitely like deal with this shit by then. I'm like, people fucking each other. I gotta figure this shit out. Like, when I'm gonna do it? When I'm gonna tell it? When I'm gonna say it? Like, <laughs> yeah. that, that may, and I rarely bring up this movie, but um, it made me think of Moonlight. Yeah. Like, because you could really see the pain and just. It's a, it's a deep, like, when I say existential, like your existence is tied to it. So I'll tell this story. Um, I talk about it a little more. For, I, my first book is coming out really soon, okay. and I talk about, and I talk about my, my period of life when I was like contemplating suicide. Mm-hmm. How old were you? I was I was a sophomore or junior at Howard, mm-hmm. um, so maybe like nineteen twenty, twenty, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and like. It was that deep religious stuff that had been embedded in me and ingrained with me that was fighting with the person I knew I was. <laughs> like, bro, like you really believe in Jesus and you saved, but like you're going to hell because you're gay. And, and that's what's and always so interesting to me when I like see. Uh, I kept feeling that my experience of coming to terms with what, who I was was what if not everybody, almost everybody had. And then the older I get, the more I realize every gay person has had their own, because I knew I was gay since I was seven. I thought everybody just knew. And I realized that people literally are having to come to terms with that into their full adulthood. Yeah, you know, like and so I'm, I'm 20, 21 maybe, and I guess I was 20, because there was a relationship that came after that, and I thank God for it. Um, but I was I was just like so torn and so broken and like battling with those things, the back and forth of like this conflicting part, like the dichotomic part of my identity, like fighting against everything in me. Like you gay or you believe in Jesus, like you saved or you going to hell, like what you going to do? Like and as a preacher, because at that time I was I was preaching. Um, wow. like it was a lot, That's like you, you get a lot. Like I was at Howard terrified. I was not dating people on campus. I was not sleeping with people on campus because on campus I was a religious life figure. Like it was, it was deep. And so there were people, there are still people right now to this day that are like, oh my God, I didn't know you were gay when we were in school. Like when we were at Howard, like, and, and, and I was, (laughs) and I was, and it was really, it was really, I got to a point where I had to realize that this is one of the things I tell people all the time. There's a, there's a passage written by Howard Thurman called, um, the sound of the genuine. And it's about listening to the voice deepest in you and closest to you and figuring out what that sounds like, right. For you when you hear the song of the genuine, like nobody can sing that melody 
nobody can sing that song but you. And I really had to figure the fuck out who I was. And once I got there, even with understanding what I what I believe about God, I was like, okay. And, and it came in slow rolling boils. It was like, okay, like I understand the Bible in such a way that sin is not what sends me to hell. So if being gay is a sin and Jesus died to forgive all our sins, then I'm not going to go to hell anyway because it's a sin that Jesus forgave. That was the first iteration, right? Mm-hmm. And then it moved to the, well, if God created me this way, right? and I believe that God created me, is it God's issue or my issue? Like, I, like God That's created it. God created it, so it's not a sin. Like, I, I, maybe it's a sin, but... Y'all need to talk to the manufacturer because <laughs> I didn't make the shit, right? I and so it. there I was that, it. and then I got to a point where I understood whose voice I was hearing telling me this shit was wrong mm. because I believed very deeply, as I still do, that I hear the voice of God. Mm-hmm. And so the question for wrestling became, is this the voice that you have known all your life or is this somebody else's voice impeding on you? And when I settled and pulled in, I was like, nah, this, like, that voice is not condemning. That voice does not incite guilt and hatred of self that I, re- that I remember God's voice being. It didn't match. Like, if I was going to put it on one side of the wow. equa- equation or the other, it couldn't have been the fire and brimstone sin. God. It couldn't have been that so did one. did you grow up in church? And I grew up in church. From the time like I was six, your, seven, your like your no, it was just like it was it was my own longing. But my grandmother would take me to church with her at seven years old. I started taking my siblings to church on our own. Wasn't my grandmother, wasn't my mother, nothing. I would invite my mom to church. Mm-hmm. But I grew up in church from the time I was seven, eight. I knew I was going to be a preacher. Wow. I knew no questions, no qualms, no nothing. There were some other things I knew that I was going to do. But th- that I knew. So I spent more time in church in my life as an organization than anywhere else. And I spent my entire life running away from church because I always felt not not welcome. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, I know it was. It didn't go off well. But um, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up, you know, kind of running away from church or just not having interest in it. And my idea about like if I was going to go to hell, I was always feeling like I knew without a doubt. And see, this is where I felt very different. This is where I felt like, oh, everybody else didn't feel the same way. I felt I knew without a doubt that I was born gay. Like that wasn't something that anybody could contest with me, you know. So if I knew that part about me, I w- you know, I would be like, OK, if I was born this way, if there's anything in the Bible that's condemning it, that means that that's man made. Like because I knew who I was. And I knew that whatever was supposed to be condemning me in the Bible wasn't true because I knew who I was. And that means that everything in the Bible to me could be is subjective. And so that created this whole thing about religion and Bible for me where yeah, it was just on like. You're slope. You're, you're headed to hell, son. Uh, am I? <laughs> I'm joking. And, and, and I, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> and I had a friend who I ex- explained my, I guess, version or perception of it. Your theology. And, yeah, my, yeah. And she was like. Who she was really religious, and she said, um, "Well, have you ever considered that maybe your lineage has been cursed?" Oh <laughs> and wow! I was like, 
Wow. Damn. Thank you, Christian. Yeah, she reached out from the Thank book. you for speaking life. From the I said, oh. Yeah. From the book of bullshit. Of course, instantly I was just like, no, I haven't. And, you know, that just doesn't even, you know, like, but I would be lying if I didn't say that I gave it more serious thought, you know, and, and I was just like being who I am now and just considering like, man, how yeah, weak. I, you know, I, I, was, I, I yeah. really just got to free people up from that. So now as a pastor, I launched a church in Chicago mm -hmm. um, and the work I do on the grapevine and in other places is really dismantling uh, w like worthless beliefs that people have that subjugate other people mm -hmm. based on misunderstanding of biblical text, biblical history, um, and things that inform what we see in the Bible. So Don and I were just talking about doing a podcast uh -huh. <laughs> episode where we discuss the instances where homosexuality comes up in biblical text. Do you know how much I would be interested in that? Y'all should absolutely 100% and 110% well, do that. Well, he, he, he was really pushing the idea, and I was like, okay, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, y'all should, because um, what I get upset about myself with it is that I can have all of this, you know, this thing or yeah. ignorance about it, but I know I haven't actually read it. Yeah, I can do some help with, help with that. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll, we're definitely going to do that podcast because it's important just from, from, a, from a beliefs standpoint. Like, it's important to know what you believe and how, like, time has evolved right. for you to get it. Like, it didn't just fall from the sky from God, like, here's your set of beliefs. Mm -hmm. There you go. Like, we've inherited this stuff down generations, down right through the years as it relates to theological doctrine and dogma and different stuff like that. And so if you don't understand the stuff that informs that, then you out here flying blind, and it really doesn't make sense to me, like, mm -hmm. for you to believe certain things and you don't know why. Mm -hmm. So, know why. like, the, the, the term, and I was talking to them about this yesterday, the two terms that we use are uninherited or uninterrogated theology mm -hmm. and inherited and inherited theology. Like the stuff that you got down, passed down from your mama who got it from her mama, who got it from her mama. And so we, we saved and we know that we know like that we don't know. wear, don't wear uh, pants. Yeah. <laughs> like women shouldn't wear pants right. or you shouldn't get tattoos or any yeah. of those things. And you don't know why you believe those things. You don't know where they come from. Right. It's really important for, for you to know that type of stuff. And it's once you do, it's really liberating. And so now at this stage in my life, like I'm not even hell doesn't even register as a as a condition to determine how I live my life. I'm not living my life to avoid going to hell. I'm not living my life to avoid some penalty that God is going to dole out on me. Like I tell people all the time, God is not the cosmic hall monitor walking <laughs> around to offer demerits every time you fuck up. <laughs> like, but that's how we make God. Like God is that petty. He got a list, right? Because God he is a he. Because he got a list uh -huh. and he's just checking it. You know what, Deotis? You didn't say thank you this morning. Mm -hmm. I hope you don't choke on that damn bagel. <laughs> like, that's the petty view that we have of God. It is, it and is. that seeds into, like, everything else that we believe. And so and all I of that. That's why I have such a hard time with religion. Yeah. And I kind of got it even from my mom because, you know, my mom, she can be religious, but she also has that connotation about, like, you know, she can't stand Jesus, folks. And she just, it's just so, it's, like, superficial. <laughs> it's, like, not even real. And, 
you know, I guess, you know, I kind of felt the same way. Christians are, like, often very pretentious, and they make it hard to live with them or around them. I'm not that guy. I'm the chairman of the Ratchet Preachers Club. (laughs) 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 All right. I I wanted to start, I actually wanted to start the podcast talking about this, but, you know, you all became so, Mm -hmm. I know, just a good flow. Abortion. I mean, that's been in the news right now uh, about what's going on in uh, in, uh, in Alabama. Right. And I am just, I mean, I'm taken aback uh, that this is even (laughs) being brought up again, like as if we didn't have all the brawless women in the 70s fighting for this this right to 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 have an opinion about what you want to do with your body being a woman with. Seeing this, like, honestly, I'm like, so slavery going to be a thing again? Is that on the table now? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Is that everything on the table now? Because like, I honestly believe if it goes to a vote, <laughs> and so that's, that's we one will of the, be back. That's one, of, that's one of the problems with democracy, right? That there are instances in America's history where the Supreme Court has had to rule in ways that the minority would not have because the majority – that the majority would not have because the majority is fucked up, right? And so there, there have been those instances where right. where the Supreme Court has had to say, mm, y'all fucked up, we gonna fix it, and everybody else get in line. Because this the majority this is middle, middle, middle America. This isn't, this isn't yeah. one of those times. And so, like, black people, if you're listening, hi, black people, mm-hmm. um, this is one of those issues that we really gotta key in on, and it's not a sexy conversation is not one of those things that's going to wire you and inspire you to pick this candidate or vote against that candidate. But it has been like when conservatives concentrated on the Supreme Court for years, on the federal court, so they weren't they weren't worried about the president. They were electing senators mm-hmm. and state legislators to do their bidding so that we've gotten to this point yep. where there are now 21 states who have either approved or are in the process of approving near total bans on abortion. Right now, I know Georgia, Kentucky, uh, Mississippi, Ohio, they all have some Indiana, of, Indiana Missouri. They all, they all have some version of a, of abortion type of laws where I think they're relating it to um, the heartbeat, heartbeat bill. Yeah. Uh, and, and pretty much if it, which you can have, which a baby can have or a fetus can have a heartbeat by like six weeks six or seven weeks. weeks, which is pretty much when a woman is going to even realize that she's and, pregnant and most for the women, most part. Most, most women don't realize they're pregnant until well beyond six weeks. Right, yeah. Like six to, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I have five sisters, and if your menstrual cycle changes, that six-week window is within that range where right. it changes. Mm-hmm. So you're not worried about it because you missed your period. It might be the time every year your, your cycle changes. Um, but it's so much more than just abortion. Like we we sitting here talking about abortion because we're thinking about the process of abortion. But you have states passing laws that say insurance companies don't have to fund specific medis- medications. Like there are medications, and people should know this, that are used for off-label prescription use. Like the medicine is prescribed for headaches, but it can also help for backaches like migraines and all of these other things. Mm -hmm. So the same medications that are used for birth control are used to control cystic fibrosis, used to control other issues that happen in women's bodies as a result of them being able to bear children. 
and they are not trying to have an abortion or birth control. They're trying to deal with a specific physical ailment that this medication fixes. Mm -hmm. And these laws are also making it hard for women to get those types of medications and that type of life-saving treatment. So it's not just one thing. And so people who are on their moral high horses about it, like it's far more I don't than there is no moral yeah. high horse. Where are the morals? They, they but I have a have, have y'all seen what Charlemagne said? No. Oh, I, I think that. I think he said like if men could get abortions, if men could get pregnant, you, like you'd be able to get an abortion at a gas station. That, that That's yeah. true. No, but it, oh, it's a fact. It's a fact. Absolutely. Yeah. But no, he said he believes that it's about the preservation of white lives mm-hmm. because. I think he was saying like uh, it's like thirty seven percent, thirty okay. Um, white women get abortions. I think black women are, are around there. So and so in Alabama, the, in Alabama, the numbers were sixty eight percent of of abortions, um, or that type of health care was received by black women, and then thirty eight percent by white women. Those numbers may be skewed closely to that nationwide. Um, but I think, no, like, is. but but the other thing, I think the other point, and maybe Charlemagne wasn't making this point, but somebody else did, is that if you look at the birth rates of white people in this country, like, the rate at which they're giving birth is not enough to support them remaining that's why, the majority that's what, that's, in that's this country. That's what he was saying. He said, so, he said right now, yeah. uh, Latino, La- Latino folks are going to be the majority yeah. in two years. So... This is their way of fighting that. Yeah. And I was like. By forcing white women to have more babies. That, I mean, mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's what he's saying. I guess. But I'm not, just saying if that I was. Mean, it's, 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 it, I, I don't, I don't think we were talking about this last night. I don't think it's that like, I don't think they're that bright. I don't even think that there's that much strategy behind it to attach that idea to these ideas. Like the religious right that has these ideas about conception and when life begins and that high moral okay but he also brought up the bullshit he he because he, he, he brought up that and then he also said and we're trying to control the borders so it seems like a double whammy right there where you're trying to fight off a group that's growing in two different ways so it that is one way to think about it. I'm just saying. It made sense. There's a hole in that theory, though. That is. What's the hole? I mean, I'm, I, I, I mean, like, the hole in the theory is, is that, like, you, if non-white people are getting the majority of abortions, then You should let no. them continue. No, but it wasn't the... If that's your strategy. But I'm saying Hispanic people weren't uh, getting abortions. Right. They weren't. They were low. Right. So, so white, white women, women were. to stop. So they wanted them right, to but, stop. But if, but if we're already on track as it is with the current state, uh-huh. To be at a place oh, where my bad. white people grossly, um, I mean, um, people of color outnumber white people, then simply just making the thirty-eight percent of white women have more kids allegedly that doesn't make that does that's not going to make up for it. But I mean, I understand what what you're saying about like the it's just incredibly flawed, and I think like from a strategic point, they they it's they must hopeful. be more intelligent. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 way more. I mean, it's it's it's. It's where the religious right has been for the last 20 years. And now they have the opportunity 
to enact it because they have a strong conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Yeah, I think like it's really important to remember that these people who used to go to picnics and watch black people get hung and wanted to, you know, forever control the the, the bodies of women have not necessarily gone anywhere and neither have their traditions. It's just been passed no. down and it ha it's not as socially acceptable. To, but now it has become socially acceptable to say crazy shit, believe in crazy shit, be racist, be sexist, and just carry that shit out like it's everyday things, right? Like you saw even when Donald Trump was just running. Mm -hmm. The shit that was going on, the crazy shit that he was saying, really activated a lot of indecent people, right? Mm -hmm. Like people who obviously believe that women should not have rights over their bodies, that gay people should not have rights. He rolled back trans rights. Trans white people, you know, will use, um, what's this, Caitlyn? Caitlyn Jenner. Name? As a huge example of male privilege turning mm -hmm. into, you know, a woman and then having to deal with sexism and a whole bunch of other things, but one thing remains the same, right? Is that that connection to privilege doesn't allow people to think outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. So the agenda still makes sense unless it affects you. Mm -hmm. So right now, even with the opioid crisis, now it's important for white people to have prison reform. Now it's important for white people to be able to have access to drugs or, or whatever they, they need. So and that happens to help drugs. us out. And it happens to mm -hmm. help us. So that's, that's, the, that's the thing here. When white people get to control the narrative, mm -hmm. it's usually about whatever is in their best benefit. So yeah. whether that means like, you know, opioids, we're victims here, mm -hmm. or if it means that we need to control people's bodies. And you have to remember too that these people are in the are in bed with a lot of pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. So they don't mm -hmm. want people to have free access to certain drugs. They don't want to be performing certain things. And it's and the religious right in certain in certain instances have a lot of money and they have a lot of lobbying power as well but what they really needed was permission and i think donald trump really gave these people permission mm -hmm. from a federal level to go into the states and act a hot fucking mess and that's yeah. what we're seeing here and this is what happens no shade to anybody because i think everybody should be able to do what you want to do but this is a real huge example of what a lot of us saw when we saw that black people in particular weren't paying attention to really putting you know, a hat in this race in terms of picking somebody, even if it's a hard decision, picking somebody, because these are one of the things that came up when he was running. It did. Would you overturn? Would you overturn yep. this? And he was giving some kind of like, oh, no, yes. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, and then people were like, don't take him literally. Don't take him literally. He's just talking shit. And they voted him in. And yep. he gave these people the permission to go in, like you said, um, on a local level and put people in strategic places to do this. And believe me, they have he has they have his permission. Yeah. And th this is what happens as a result. So I really hope that as we approach the 2020 election, that everybody's paying close attention to about what is happening, whether it's on a federal, but on a state level as well. Pay attention, because even before the Alabama thing, there was already a whole bunch of states that was already bringing these things into uh, effect, but because Alabama created the most of yeah. uh, exaggerated, like, ridiculous penalties for it is the only reason why it's became um, part of the conversation. It's always got to get crazy before it, you pay attention. Right, and right, that's, right. That's why we don't, we could, we could catch things a little bit before mm -hmm. it happens because people were actually talking about this. It's just a matter of paying attention. Mm -hmm. And now because it is so ridiculous, people are paying mm -hmm. attention, but it, but it happened. It already been happening. And, and this, and, and this is why, you know, even for us, like as millennials or as Gen Z's have to pay extra close attention to what's happening because even though we think we can just make things better, it takes a long time to fix the bullshit that these people let go through. It takes Micro. a long time to roll things back. Mm -hmm. And one thing that Trump definitely said was that he wanted to roll back a lot of things. And even though he wasn't able to do certain things that he wanted to, he's caused a lot of 
foolishness and a lot of angst and a lot mm -hmm. of um, division in this country mm -hmm. that was there and underlying, but he's really exposed it. <laughs> and this is a real, real, real example of a war on women's um, bodies in particular, which is scary. And it's even it's scary, scary as a man. Mm -hmm. You open the conversation by talking about is slavery going to be next? And while I wouldn't say that that may be the thing because maybe black people aren't necessarily as targeted as maybe Muslim people right now or certain other communities or, you know, Mexicans, for example, I think that it's close. It's good to pay attention because it may be happening to a certain group now, women right now, but tomorrow it might be somebody else. Right. And, and you're going to and you're going to want them to fight for you. So this is a, a yeah. thing for men to really become aware of and start speaking yeah, out against as well. Now. And yeah. just to be clear, too, about what's different between what. Uh, abortion laws they have um, trying to put into effect before uh, compared to what they're trying to put into effect now with uh, Alabama in comparison at first it was at least you need six weeks before you can um, before it's illegal for you to uh, get abortions as, as some of these states but now in Alabama it's like there is no stature no, of the the, know. it's the moment you know and that you're not able to get even you know any type of assistance with that and and, and the fact and the penalties that comes with um you know if a doctor performs it you know it's pretty much life in prison or you know uh, that wasn't that was the case in other states yeah. I guess you know? I do want to say this um, especially to my to my brothers to my straight brothers just be supportive just talk and just just be support for women just talk out speak out please don't. God, you motherfuckers always trying to find something to like talk shit about. I saw one meme. Somebody said they started coming. In, they start saying, well, so the government wants to control your body and you want the government to control to make us be fathers or something like what? <laughs> what? Are you serious right now? <laughs> like you can't be. It can't be like this, right? <laughs> Y'all, I no, make no sense. That's what happens when you when you have the privilege of not having like you could just of not having fuck. You, you, yeah, not you could just fuck and you just walk away. People do that shit every day. It's no different because you fuck you you can walk away and now she's left with not being able to have an abortion, having to take a kid. And this is the thing about the government in particular with the shit that pisses me off, is that we talked about this too, even on the car in the car ride, is that. They don't give a shit about anything that has to do with a kid after it's born. Now, right now, no. you could you no. could be in the in the pits of hell. Your neighborhood is a shitty hotel. Mm -hmm. No pipeline to go into a good school. So no pipeline to a dope ass future. You know what I'm saying? But we want to control whether or whether or not you have this child now. Mm -hmm. um, even though some doctors don't agree that at that the first signs of a heartbeat or whatever would be considered life by certain people is mm -hmm. considered life, mm -hmm. you know, by other means and other standards. Mm -hmm. So who's right about that? Who's wrong about that? That just that? kills me because they want to talk about how um, every life, you know, matters and all that. But, but y'all don't even give a fuck about, about the black lives that's here now. So you don't I mean, give a fuck about none of these none kids. Of this, you don't. You're taking away every art program, every, every, yeah. every after school program, and you're putting all of them in prison. Mm -hmm. Like, what? Why do you want us here anyway? Yeah. Uh, obviously, what? minorities <laughs> will suffer from this yeah. the most. And it, it'll be just like the, uh, the 70s when they have to go into the next state to try to get these abortions. And only people that won't yeah. be able to do that are the, most, are the ones that's in the most poverty, the most poverty stricken. I've all, I, well, my, but my question about it, and I, you know, I present this to all of y'all, is like, I'm confused though. I'm confused okay. at how are they able, or why are they able to bring this up again after I thought it was settled in the 70s, and, and, and uh, what was it called? 
Roe versus Wade. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Like that was a thing that completely happened and finished. And like they've always <laughs> wanted to overturn. So, like, this is a very deep dive into legal argument. Mm. So Roe versus Wade does something that no other law, like it is precedence because there's nothing else that. Uh, no other case law that deals with it. It's the first time where the Supreme Court recognizes a right to privacy as it relates to the Constitution, right? The Constitution doesn't give us an innate right to privacy, but the the judges in Roe versus Wade decided that, yes, there is an innate right to privacy that says women can decide what to do with a woman's body, Right. So that's the case law that has never been adjudicated beyond Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade said, yes, that's the case. That's it. Mm -hmm. So some of these some of these challenges are built to challenge that. Uh Is there a right to privacy as it exists in the Constitution? That's why it's based on. Is it based on the the idea that at the first sign of a heartbeat well, that is life? Is that's, that what it's No, on? that's the second part. So the, the second part is defining life. Okay. The okay. heartbeat is attached to saying that this is a living, breathe, yes. living being, a human being that has rights the same way that you and I and do. And that happens. And right so then. if I can define it at the heartbeat, at conception, Right then, this is a person that has rights, mm-hmm. but that and that way- has not been adjudicated. Okay, okay. Roe versus Wade did not a- attempt to answer when life begins. And that's Does what it life sounds like is being pushed at right conception. now. And so all the wait, 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 wait. So right now it sounds like that. I'm not. I want to make sure that we're yes. going through that. So right now it sounds like people are saying that's what we want to contest right there. That's what we want to actually uh right now say that this is based on facts people are trying to get doctors to come together and put down you know case studies of saying like this is exactly what it is and that's what they're trying to go is that right that's correct the argument is supreme court answer when does life begin Mm. does life begin at conception or does it begin at some other point so all of these laws for the most part deal with the heartbeat, the heartbeat or yeah. conception, when does life begin? In Georgia or in Alabama, it is at conception. The moment you know you're mm-hmm. pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. That's you pregnant. You're pregnant if so. if it's just a zygote today. And that's what right. It's right. It's it's just it's just a zygote today. But there are already laws on the books right now that criminalize women having miscarriages, right? That women have been in prison because they had a miscarriage in the state deemed that it was an unlawful abortion. Yep, and that's right? part of the argument, and too, because so women are like, well, okay, what about, I didn't even know miscarriage was going to be part of the argument, yeah, but that is, yeah, too. Because yeah, and, and, so, and so it's now about when does life begin, mm-hmm. and so all of these cases hinge upon life beginning at conception or mm-hmm. what most states have settled on is that six-week number, and some who are trying to be a little more, Lean, you know. Eight weeks. Or, all right, eight weeks, which is still foolish. I know for now, abortion is still legal because yeah, these even laws in, have not yet. Even made. in Alabama, even in Alabama, that law doesn't take place, uh, doesn't go into action for six months. Yeah, right. And, and so, they expecting to challenge it. And, and so there will be challenges. There will that. be there will be Supreme like it's at the Supreme Court has to decide. They get to decide which cases they take or which yeah. cases they don't. Mm-hmm. And so Alabama looks like one of those cases where it's going to be like, nah, we're not dealing with this. And mm-hmm. I was telling them last night. So our our hope, 
right? Our one hope is John Roberts, um, that the one person who's reasonable on that five on, that, on yeah. that five side conservative majority is the chief justice because he does not want to seem like a crazy person, <laughs> right? So he's very much institutionalist, very much incrementalist, and will go step by step by step. Mm-hmm. Where some of these other people are like, "Fuck that!" Put your <laughs> like foot down on the pedal, like right. hit the gas. And so, if John Roberts wakes up on a particular day and had a bad night at home, mm-hmm. like Roe versus Wade proponents pray hard because his bad day may mean he overturns the case right. or decides that they're going to hear the case on a particular day. And as as a now the Roe versus Wade, like as it is in law right now, it's twenty four weeks where you yeah. can still you yeah. Know, because viability begins at 24 weeks exactly we can take the baby out of the womb Mm -hmm. at 24 weeks and it can survive Uh that's 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 where that's where after 24 weeks an embryo feels pain uh responds to sensory input like sound and and Mm -hmm. and different things like that i have a question are people challenging that are people challenging when a baby begins to feel or excuse me so embryo begins to feel pain or are they just challenging the heartbeat i mean no it's it's really about viability when a embryo can survive i I know but outside and so people are that's for the supreme wait wait wait. so that's for the supreme court but what i'm saying right now is in terms of the arguments that people are giving civilized like the civilized way of thinking now is that 24 weeks we don't have any questions about that at 24 weeks we already know that this is an embryo that can survive outside of the mother's womb Mm -hmm. right and so the civilized agreement (laughs) the gentleman's agreement is okay we'll go with 24 weeks but that's not because after that because after if if we if we say uh, not twenty four weeks, if we say six, you know, if we move that, you're being barbaric, one side or the other. If we say no, it's thirty weeks, and I can still have an abortion at thirty weeks. You're being a savage because look at this ultrasound. Look at you know the sensory information that we know we can derive from that embryo. Like you're being insensitive and barbaric. Or on the other side, women are saying like, are you serious? Like to my body, like. At 24 weeks or 23 weeks or 18 weeks, no, this is not. It's an embryo. It's like in developmental stages. It is not a person, quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. And so that's the argument. But there, there are not a lot of arguments about that marker. Like most civilized people, okay. most um, pro-choice proponents We'll, we'll agree, like, 24 weeks, we good. We're not going to fight that. Okay. We're not going to fight with do that. You Nobody's trying to be people. unreasonable. So it's the pro-life people. Yeah. Does anybody have an issue with somebody with it, with that 24? No, I mean, I, like, if you're asking me, and this is where I get into high water as a pastor, like, I'm like, w- men need to stop making rules ag- about women's bodies. Absolutely. And so I don't, I don't have any – I am never carrying a baby. So I don't know when it is or is not. I am not invested in that. Shut the fuck up. So you really think that this should actually be a decision made by, by women? A panel of women. By if if, if it was gonna be made. If it was gonna if be, it made, was yeah. gonna be made, <laughs> like if we were gonna give veto mm-hmm. authority, women please yeah. and men shut the fuck up. But I'm not yeah. even saying that. I'm saying women need to be able to decide with their own bodies what they want to yeah. do with their bodies in consultation with their physician. Mm-hmm. I agree. We all agree. We all, agree. <laughs> all right, so what do we do from here? What so, can we do from here? So seriously, like support, 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 
women's rights to protect their bodies. Like, guys that are listening to this podcast, like, for the fellas who have supported your, your girl's secret abortion, right, mm-hmm. way back when, whenever that happened for you, here's here's an opportunity. When you slid, it, when you slid yeah. her that money. Yeah, <laughs> when you slid her that 250 so she yeah. could go to the clinic. Um, here's hey, I, an opportunity. Hey, I have never had a girl have an abortion, but I slid the homies' money. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Little cousin's so here, money. So here you go. Here's, here's an opportunity for you. Volunteer at a Planned Parenthood clinic to be an escort for women who need services to protect them when they go to get services because they have these crazy-ass people who show up outside and berate and harass women. Volunteer to be Joe with your big ass, D with your big diesel. I am busy. Sorry, that sounds yeah. Okay, that sounds right. And that's 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 the shit we do right there. I'm busy. Volunteer. (laughs) Dang, I've never even thought about that. Volunteer to be an escort at Planned Parenthood clinics. There are make is that a that's a thing already? Yes, they have people that go and escort women from a meeting point where we can cover you and walk with you. Or Damn. I will just walk with you and hold your hand into this clinic I'm with or whatever it. so you feel safe. Make that decision. I'm about to Google that right donate now. Donate to Planned Parenthood. I mean, that, that is make, right. make a donation. You pay for an abortion before, before or you pay for services that a woman is <laughs> need. Like women go to Planned Parenthood. Sometimes men go to Planned Parenthood to get SDD, STD and STI treatment at Planned Parenthood. Make a donation. Support candidates that are on the right side of this argument. Right. So when there is a senator Senate race in Maine, you don't live in Maine, but you can donate to a Democratic candidate in Maine because there's a fifth conservative justice on the Supreme Court right now. Why? Because the senator from Maine, Susan Collins, voted to confirm him to the Supreme Court. So support her opposition. Support your local leaders. Vote in local elections. Find out information about state legislators that you are voting for and vote for them. If people don't align with your values, vote them out. Like in in political science, we know that there are three major political parties in this country. There are Democrats, there are Republicans, and there are non-voters. If if the third of this country who does not vote went and voted, a whole lot of shit would change. And so vote and put your money where where your your mouth is. Like if you believe in these things, you can do that. So those are those are a couple things right now that that you can do to to show solidarity and show up. And when you hear people talking stupid, your bros or whatever, tell them to shut the fuck up. Right. We gotta step up and do that. Yeah. We can't just let this shit ride. Yeah, I agree. Joe. I'm over here looking for the fucking application. What? No, that's great. I was just going to ask if you had any other questions. Shit, you look like you was over here like... <laughs> you know, you I'm hey, sorry. hey, hey, guys. That's what happens like when I'm the mother about. figure in everyone's <laughs> life. <laughs> Goddamn auntie. Shit. Joe, I'm over what here looking, man. I was trying to see where I could protect women and shit. Yeah, man. Thanks for that nah, this is real. This is real. Know. I, I Honestly, I really had no yeah. idea. Yeah. Damn. Okay. So, know. hey, anybody who's listening that uh, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking in L.A. right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe this is for Los Angeles. It says L.A. for choice. 
And uh, if you would like to be a volunteer, if you would like to volunteer as an escort, you can email LA for choice, LA the number four choice at gmail.com. All right. See, not easy. That was quick. And yeah. Step up. Well, Corey Donovan, it has been truly a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me in the gay homie. That was a very um, fulfilling conversation. Yeah. So let me uh, just, if y'all are looking for us on social media, um, you can find us at The Grapevine TV on Instagram, and you can subscribe, like, comment, and share our Instagram post. Our YouTube channel is the same, The Grapevine TV. All of our videos are up there. I'm at Corey L. Scott on all social media platforms. And, and I am Donovan. On everything. I am Donovan. That's at I am Donovan. Okay, before we go, before we go, there was one thing, because he sent me a video. You were discussing, was it prison reform? Yeah. I want to hear you. I want to please speak on that. So, so what we were talking about in the prison reform episode was restorative justice. Um, and it's the idea that when a crime is committed in a community, that there is... B- Justice is out of balance. And so we have to restore the balance to this community. And so the way to do that is not to be punitive, because if I'm punitive, we are still out of balance. People are still left hurt, and there's no healing. So restorative justice says that we have to find balance, and we have to find ways to do that. And so there are different models about how restorative justice works around the country. Um, but basically that's what they do. They pair victims and offenders in a way that says, how can we restore balance to this community? So if you vandalize somebody's house by spray painting the side of it, right, a restorative justice uh, mechanism may look like, rather than me giving you your first uh, misdemeanor charge, right, that we don't charge you, but we make you paint over the graffiti you did, and you got to paint 50 more houses. Right. Um, Or if like if there's some violence that happens, like some restorative justice programs look like peacemakers where we get the parties that are fighting and and engaging in violent crimes and we mediate between them because I already know I can lock you up and lock you up. But I can't lock everybody in this damn community up. I can't lock your brother up who's mad that he got locked up because of something that happened with you, Joe. So we got to figure out how we did this shit at the beginning. And so we sit everybody down with, with a respected mediator and we hash this thing on out. And so there are a lot of different models around the country. And so what I was talking about were different opportunities around the country that we have data that we know works for stopping crime, that we know works for stopping or cutting off recidivism, which is people going to jail and then coming back out, committing crimes and going right back to jail. And so we know that there are methods that cut that off, that work that we should be employing. Beyond that, we have to do some more work. And I was talking about this on the show as a moral issue about how we look at prisoners. Um, D-Ray talked about what we think about felonies and what a real, what a felony actually is and how most of the crimes that are felonies, it's only 4%, 4 or 5% that are violent crimes. And so we think about criminals, people that's raping, like that shit that Trump says, they're raping 
um, they're sending murderers and rapists and shit, that's 4% of people who are convicted of felonies. And so we got to talk more about what that looks like and, and how our prison system looks as opposed to how our education system looks. That's the last point I made on the show. I'll make it here. In Illinois, they spent an average of less than $5,000 on each student in the school system, but spend $37,000 per prisoner in the state penitentiary system in Illinois. And we know from statistics that education affects the proximity that you have to the prison pipeline. But we still spend three, four times less on educating people than imprisoning them. And if we believe in that as a priority, again, we have to vote people into office and push policies that say, no, we are not going to fund education in such a way that says our priorities are less aligned with education and more aligned with penalizing people in prison. I'm glad I asked about that. I am too. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and, and so this is the shit I do for real. Like, yeah. this is real life nah, work. Dude, I, I appreciate and, you. And I appreciate are, are those programs that's already functioning that's happening, so or is this you trying to get that going? Nah, so, like, I've been doing restorative justice work for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Like, when we were in high school, like, mm -hmm. real talk. Yeah. Like, there are programs that I've been running. Like, one of the other things that happened was September 11th, happen right in the midst of a lot of because the prison reform conversation was happening in the late 90s early 2000s but September 11th happened and police departments across the country shifted money from community policing programs which were programs engaged at getting the the community and police in better terms and better working relationship they shifted that money from community policing programs and shit like that to counterterrorism. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. a lot of programs lost funding in the restorative justice sectors, in the community policing sectors, because they went to anti-terrorism programs, the militarization of police departments, and seeing them invest and, and AKs and shit walking through the community. And so that neglect has led to... You never got lack. that money back. You never got that money back. So there are still programs across the country, and there are still organizations that are trying to push programs. Mm -hmm. We just got to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Thank you. All righty then. Thank you. Thanks, Donovan. Thanks, Corey. Make sure y'all go follow The Great Van TV on Instagram and go find them on YouTube. You would not regret it. And um, I appreciate y'all so much, man. This is some good information. And yeah, man, we'll uh, see y'all soon. Peace. Me and the gay homie, Joe and Diotis out.